0: Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Uh, why Why don't we just welcome Emma... are going to be clapping after the end of this? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So for those who... Am I on? Yeah, yes. sound loud. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Emma. I am uh, 32. Um, I am Indian origin. Despite the uh, English accent, I'm actually born in Wales. Um, I am married to Thierry, the hot black guy sitting over there. <laughs> <laughs> sitting next to the equally hot black guy, Don, over there. <laughs> God willing, we're We're expecting a baby in November, so that's our thank you, thank you. So that's our big news. Um, uh, Owens asked me to speak about uh, on Acts seventeen verses one to four, and as you know, we've been doing a series on evangelism, and this is just another talk in that series. Um, So maybe we can just uh, read together from Acts seventeen. Says, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphip- Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and, Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God fearing Greeks. And quite a few prominent women. Let's pray. God, we thank you that your word is living and breathing, Lord, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray that it would indeed challenge the very hearts and attitudes of our minds. Lord, we just thank you that you are here, Lord, that you are present. God, I pray that um, as I stand here very much feeling unworthy and um, yeah, incapable of, of preaching, Lord, I ask that your words would be uh, my words, Lord. And I pray that everybody here would just have open eyes, ears, and hearts to hear what you might be saying to us today. Amen. Amen. So I have one question for us to think about today, um, and it is Is your agenda aligned to God's agenda for you? So just to understand what I really mean by that, my question is, are we focused on God's vision, God's agenda for our lives, as in his plans, his goals, uh, his authority for us? Or is it more the case that we focus a bit more on what we think that we're able to manage, um, what our ambitions are, what our goals are and what our plans are? And that's quite a broad question to ask, but obviously it has, it's quite significant in terms of evangelism. I'm just going to give three reasons why I think that is quite important. Tapping into God's agenda is important because if we are able to focus on who God is, i.e. that he is completely without limit, that he is infinite and awesome, then we're more likely to be able to um, understand that he's at least capable theoretically or conceptually to do anything through us. But if we focus on who we are, then it's going to limit our capabilities because we are kind of a slave to our own previous experience. So I'm 32, I haven't really achieved very much in my life, uh, so therefore going forward it's most likely that I'm not going to be able to achieve much going forward. Secondly, if we focus on who God is, we're able to regain the heart of establishing the kingdom of God as it is in heaven here on earth. But if we focus on what we all think and like, what our own issues and our own concerns and our own kind of agendas and all our own thoughts and desires, then we're more likely to, um, again, just not really understand the fullness of, of, um, of what God has for us. And certainly we're not going to be walking in the destiny that God has planned for us. And thirdly, that if we focus on God's kingdom perspective, i.e. what it is, what's, our, what's the real purpose of why we're here then we're able to be able to speak with boldness and authority and in confidence of who we are in Christ. But if we, again, are just kind of focused in who we are and like what we've done and what we've accomplished, then we're most likely to either just try and elevate ourselves and our how great we are, or we're going to just be living in fear of ridicule and rejection whenever we try and speak the gospel. Either way, it's going to end up in a bit of trouble, and we're not going to be very very um, powerful in what we do. So we've been doing this series of talks on evangelism. Was anybody here, was everyone here last week for John's talk? So for, not everyone I guess, but um, for people who weren't here, I would absolutely um, suggest that you go and listen to it on on the internet, on the website. It was absolutely fantastic Um, and it was really challenging and quite powerful. And he really spoke about just us being a witness and what it means to be a witness and he said that it was basically about um, a stemmi- it stemming from an overflowing of um, our experience, our personal relationship with Jesus, and that out of that, we have this overwhelming sense of wanting to share that with other- others, and that we need to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our own lives before we're then able to-, to share that. We're not going to be effective if we haven't experienced that for ourselves. And indeed, that's absolutely the fundamental message. He was also right in saying that you don't need a PhD to evangelize, surprise, surprise. But I think the seriousness of, of that is that we often can just think, well, you know, I'm, I'm actually not that well equipped, I don't really know enough. Um, and then it can just rule, we can rule ourselves out, so we can say, well, you know, it's not really my ministry, it's not really my gifting, it's someone else's. But actually, the truth of the Bible is absolutely clear, that the Great Commission is for all of us, and that none of us are exempt from that. So whilst there's an absolutely overwhelming simplicity of the gospel, i.e. the freeing truth of his grace and his acceptance and his forgiveness, things we've been talking about already today, and that's the message that is going to transform people's lives, that's a fundamental message we're going to have to hear, and the one that we're going to have to share with others, actually there are genuine and legitimate questions that often people have as well. And we need to be able to be ready to try and answer those questions or at least think about those questions when they're put forward to us. us. Because often that can be a stumbling block, as you know, for people to then take that step into making a commitment to follow Jesus. So in my mind, sharing the gospel is not just just about what it is that I've got to say, what my experience is and how I've enjoyed God, but it's also about just listening to what other people have to say and what their questions are. And Paul was able to do this really well. He did it both. He did both really well, unsurprisingly. Um, But he did that from a position of understanding. So with that in mind, I thought I'd just jot down a few kind of thoughts in terms of what I thought we could think about to empower us or to challenge us into kind of stepping up or stepping out in in faith and perhaps improving our kind of evangelistic efforts. Um, it's really not at all meant to be a kind of me preaching to you or us going down the kind of guilt trip at all in terms of, oh, we haven't really done enough, because we all know that we fall short. All of us do. But it's about trying to just convict us gently and challenge us lovingly into, you know, just trying to, to see if there's anything that we can do better to be more effective. And the only other thing that I'd say from the outset is that, obviously, this is not about gaining our way. This is an obvious point, but one that needs to be said. It's not about earning our way into heaven. Clearly, it's only by grace that we are all saved. Um, But it's really about how is it that we can walk into the fulfillment of God's purposes in our lives and also help others, those people that are around us, to also walk in that destiny for us, for them. So is that okay? (laughs) So I have the five Bs, which are the tips, if you like, in kind of um, prepping ourselves for effective evangelism. Um, the first is be rooted in prayer. So I'm really glad that uh, you just put the, um, press the arrow down. It should come down. Um, it's, this is really very much one of my favorite topics, and I'm really glad that Owen has made a real big play for this, that you cannot have evangelism without, with prayer, without prayer. So absolutely everything stems from prayer. And if you think about that, that's really self-evident as well. Like You think about the greatest miracles, you think about um, healing, you think about revival, you think about salvation. Everything happens, begins from prayer. And often I think we just skim over that. We don't really fully understand it. And actually, I think it's probably the greatest weapon that God has given us. It's just that we haven't fully understand it, understood it. And if you think about what the Bible says about if we have faith the size of as small as a mustard seed, we could say to this mountain to move from here to here and it will be done. But the problem is often our faith is just too small. It's even smaller than that. And I don't know how many times I've heard Christians say, and I've definitely said this in the past, where you know we've resu- we've kind of been praying for something, and we've kind of exhausted all our um, different kind of resources available to us, and so we then say, oh, all we can do, all I can do now is pray. But actually, that's completely the wrong way round, isn't it? And um, really, the question that we, the thing, the statement we should be making is, all I need do is pray. And that's what the Africans are really good. I've, I've really experienced that firsthand in in Miranda, where, where we've been, and like often, I someone will say they have a headache, and they'll bring out their, and I'll go out and bring my paracetamol and be really helpful and say, here you go, and they'll look at me and say, well, you know, you have your way, but actually my way, I'll pray first, and if that doesn't work, I'll go to hospital or I'll go and take your paracetamol. And so we just need to understand that actually we do have that fundamentally the wrong way around, a lot of us. The other thing about being rooted in prayer is that it gives us a heart so it gives us the right heart, as in the heart that God has for that person or for those people. So who does God want me to pray for? And are we able to tap into the very heartbeat that God has? See, so if we think about God, and absolutely, he is you know, all loving and he cares for my thoughts, he cares for my own desires and all the things that I have and all the things that I want and I'm interested in, but if we compartmentalize God into just that small, small God, then we are not understanding the whole picture of who god is our god is i see him as kind of like the world ceo you know like the the big strategist he's he's up to stuff he's doing things and we just need to understand that we need to try and see if we can tap into some of those things and there's a lot of people praying at the moment for the situation in israel and in syria and um praying about actually the things that have to be fulfilled before jesus comes again and so there's all these things that are going on in like on on a world arena if you like that (laughs) it's really important that we try and think about or pray for. But he's also not just this world strategist. Obviously, he is fundamentally um, loving, and he really wants to, to seek the lost, and he wants to draw us all in and on an individual level as well. John 6.44 says, No one comes to him unless the Father draws him. So are we really praying for divine appointments? Does, does anybody do that? Anybody on a daily basis pray for a divine appointment that they'd have an encounter. I'd really just say that if you don't, I I dare you. I would challenge you to ask. But if you do ask, then expect expect that he'll respond, and and you need to be ready as well. So it's it's quite a big thing. And for me, that was a real wake up call. Um, uh, f- a few months ago now, I guess. And um, actually, Owen mentioned it in his, one of his sermons that um, in our badminton club, there was this guy called Sean. And I didn't really know him extremely well, um, but I, enough to call him my friend. And um, he was turning 50 this year and uh, in June. And um, he was gay. And I talked to him a little bit about God, but not really that much. And he certainly knew that I was a Christian. And actually, it turned out that um, a few months ago, he committed suicide. And um, it was a massive wake-up call for me because um, something in my heart just really was, like, filled with, like, conviction. Like, conviction that I hadn't really even listened to to God. And actually, was God's heart for me to pray for this guy? Did I just completely miss it? And when I was talking to one of his closest friends... um, he also was just really devastated. But I just really felt that, that I just missed this opportunity and that I hadn't been listening. And Thierry and I, we pray quite a lot for, for people and individuals, but I think I, I just felt at that moment that I'd, I'd forgotten, I'd stopped to actually ask God, who, it is, who is it that you want me to pray for? Who is it that you're interested in? Who is it that you want to, to come into the kingdom? So that's the first. that's the first one, be rooted in prayer. The second is, Be rooted in the word. Verse 2 says, Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures. So he's there talking to the Jews. See, the Jews understood the Old Testament, but they didn't understand that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. And that's where Paul had to spend most of his time. For us, obviously, that we're actually many, many steps behind that. So when we speak to people, when we encounter people, the questions you get is, well, you know, who is Jesus? What's the point of Jesus? Like why do you have to die? Uh, why is it significant? Um, and those questions, again, really valid. Um, and this is my little plug for Alpha. But um, Alpha is really good for, for, for asking those questions and to being able to discuss them. Um, and certainly I became a Christian through Alpha. And um, it's just so good to be able to freely ask those questions in a, in a really safe environment. Um, so I'd suggest that if there's anyone here who's on that journey, absolutely, to think about it. I think we're running one in the autumn. Um, but it's interesting to, to see how many people know snippets of the Bible, but they don't know in its entirety. Or when you speak to people who aren't really Christians, they've kind of been mistaught certain things as well. And again, I think we just need to be able to spot those things as well. Um, and again, for me, like when I was in, in the year 2000, I was in Africa and Egypt, and I was doing this missionary uh, trip with uh, Church Mission Society. I had uh, recently become a Christian a couple of years ago. And there was this Muslim guy, and he just knew the Bible really well, and he was quoting loads of stuff, and some of it just didn't really sound that right, and obviously he was doing it in the context of you know, Islam, um, but I just didn't know anything at all. I didn't know the Bible, and I certainly couldn't point to the Bible and say, actually, you're wrong. I couldn't correct him in any way, and I just felt so powerless. And, Again, that was the, the, uh, it's a real strong time that I remember. It's just like, I really want to know my Bible. I want to be able to defend the Bible, because if I don't, then I, I'm just not going to be well-equipped at all. So Scripture tells us that the gospel is a stumbling block and that it's a bit of a scandal, especially for those people who don't know Jesus. But the problem is that often it's a stumbling block for us. Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So we need to be able to defend the gospel through the word. As with the Bible, again, it gives us the same, as as with prayer, sorry, the Bible also helps us understand God's heart, and that's peppered throughout the Bible. For example, in 1 Timothy 2, it says, I urge then... First of all, that all petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So that's his heart, that all would be saved. See, he's a loving, compassionate, patient patient father. And he has such a heart for the lost. And we need to tap into that same heart that he has. So often we can have that heart and we can have the the bit of knowledge that we need, the very basics, but the problem is our communication, our delivery of that. So for the Bible to give life, life has to be given to the Bible. Does that make sense? So you see, God is going to be most glorified when we are most delighted in him. And there are two types of bad evangelists. I'm going to give my example. So the first, I need a bigger Bible. Here we are. You ever notice how important people have always got big Bibles in the church? <laughs> so the first is, you know, the Bible basher, like the, the fury of God is in my eyes, and turn or burn, or, <laughs> or you shall perish, and like, snarling at you kind of thing. That's the type of first bad evangelist that you do get them, you see them a lot in the street, obviously, that they're pretty angry and there's not much kind of good news there at all. And then you get the second type of bad evangelist, which I guess can often include some of us, definitely me in the past, which is the kind of, oh my God, is he looking at me? Is he looking at me? I'm really embarrassed he's going to ask me a question. Oh, yeah, he's looking at me. You know, if I was white now, I'd be red. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not bad news, is it? It's good news, but we kind of lose it because we're all just so petrified and, and embarrassed and we're fear, fearful. So we need to be able to convey the, the good news in a way that is attractive, but we also have to recognise that, clearly... Um, the heart of the message is not going to have to... It can't be watered down. And actually, sometimes the very nature of the gospel is one that will be offensive to some people, um, and that's just the way it is, and especially to those that are perishing. It's not not going to be an easy thing to say. And so, obviously, it's not going to be our knowledge or our persuasiveness that is ultimately going to win them over. It's going to be the power of the gospel itself. But sometimes we just need that enthusiasm in delivering that kind of smile on our face that it's actually good news and not bad news. So that's the second thing, be be rooted in prayer. Oh, sorry, in the the Bible. The third point is be informed. So Paul was well-versed in philosophy of the day. He had studied the beliefs. Judaism was an ancient religion. He knew all about it. He took his understanding, though, and then he was able to apply it to the gospel presentation. So in verse 18, which is not, we hadn't, talked about it, but it's another section in when he's then talking in Athens, and the Bible basically says that he was conversing and debating with them. So he was willing to invest his time and become a student of the culture around him so that he could better convey the message. (coughs) This is quite a tricky thing to talk about, I suppose, because I guess there's always stuff that we're not really going to be informed of, um, and we can never really have all knowledge. And for some of us, maybe it's not something that we're particularly interested in or you know, feel particularly necessary. But I think it's at least good to be interested in the common things, the common questions that people have in order to be good evangelists. So there's usually not very many more than a handful, but it's always the same types of question. You know, why does God allow suffering? Why do good people go to hell? Why doesn't God make himself known? Evolution versus creation. You know, what about free will? All this kind of stuff. They're, they're very kind of bog-standard questions that you get. And we have to try and think about them, at least, in order to see if there's anything that we can say that's going to help. But we also have to remember that it has to come from a place of humility, and for me, this is a thing that I'm struggling with all the time, is just uh, humility, and uh, coming from a place of humility. Um, and when I was at school, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty clever, it's actually not so difficult. And then I got to university, and I read law, and I was actually at Cambridge, I was like, Cambridge? And, um, but I was very much shot down straight away um, at how very little I knew in comparison. And we can be very guilty of this kind of intellectual elevation. You know, let's just try and talk talk about how much we know and how much we can deliver. If we come from that attitude, God will absolutely humble us. And he's done that time and time again with me. Equally, we, equally, we also need to know our audience as well. So there are very many who argue for the sake of self-elevation rather than to to seek the truth. And again, that's what I really love about Alpha, that people genuinely come with questions. And if they have those explained to them or they get an opportunity to speak about them and to discuss them, then that can help them in their journey. And our home group now, we have it that that has stemmed out of Alpha. And the one thing I love is that we can just all meet. And all the guys that come, they just come with this heart of openness because they just want to learn, they just want to discover um, more about who God is. And that's the kind of place, those are the kinds of people that we need to to speak to. It's really often just not worth the time and the effort. And again, I've done this so many times, and I can spot spot it for miles now. People who kind of know that you're a Christian and then just come with something that they want to ask and it's not at all because they're interested in the answer in truth-seeking, but it's just because they want to show that they know more. And I would absolutely just say, just walk away from that. Verse 4 actually says that only some were persuaded, which means that actually many were not. And for those who really enjoy the kind of knowledge and the um, le- reading and the um, understanding, I would absolutely just encourage you to, to continue in that Keeping up to date with current affairs and politics, basics of different faith, um, this is not only good for our own education, but it, and you know in improving our knowledge, but I also believe that it can in fact widen the pool of people that we're able to speak to. And again, it's not for everybody, but I think that that wisdom absolutely trumps everything. it trumps intellect. But wisdom, coupled with intellect and knowledge, can actually be quite helpful. And after my bad Egypt experience, um, I think out of a place of just wanting to prove that I could, I started reading the Quran as well. Um, And that's certainly, again, with with the bad motives. But I found that once God brought that out of me and took that away from me, it's actually been quite useful. So you come across, and I've come across people in in the past who are Muslims, and just to be able to kind of point to something and say, oh yeah, this is what the Quran says, but actually this is what the Bible says, um, it's quite a powerful thing. And And so I think if we are able to kind of develop in in understanding and and more knowledge, then that's only going to be a good thing used in the right context. So that was the third thing, be informed. The fourth thing is be empowered. And that's about being filled with a full armor, being wearing the full armor of God, being filled with faith. We need to be equipped, basically, and that often involves, you know, asking for the gifts of the Spirit, which have been given freely to all of us. Laying, you know, asking for words of wisdom or words of knowledge or the prophetic in order to be able to use those things to be able to speak into people's lives. And I think for those of us that actually have those gifts, and I'm talking to elders now as well in particular, we know we should be laying our hands regularly on, on the people so that they, we are commissioned, we are equipped to be sent out. We also just need to be strong and courageous, understanding that Jesus himself was the the person who had to suffer the most form of ridicule. And we also need to understand that actually practice just makes perfect, that a lot of the time we're not really going to get it right, but actually that doesn't really matter because what it is is the obedience, the heart. God's most interested in our heart. He's not interested in the outcome, and, and actually he can just take care of that in a flash. But it's about having willing people who would just step out in obedience and in faith. Um, and this happened to me a few weeks ago. We were in Rwanda, and uh, this is not so much about evangelism, but it was certainly about the prompting. Um, Thierry and I, we went to this family friend's, and it's, it, was a good, um, it was a good friend of mine. We were invited to his family, and um, he, he's getting married. And... Um, I just felt we were just praying and like we were just around and talking to them. Actually, I don't even speak. It was all in Kinyuranda. I don't even under, couldn't even communicate with the parents. But something in my heart just kind of prompted me and I felt I had to say something. I was like, oh, Lord, why do you have to ask me about this? Can't you ask someone else? But, and I didn't understand the culture, the surroundings. I couldn't really communicate, so it had to be through translation. But something in my heart just said, I have to say what it is that God has put in my heart. And I remember having a quick word. It was like two minutes with Thierry, and I was like, oh, Thierry, do you think I should? I really want to say this? I just feel like I should say it. And Thierry was like, no, no, you really shouldn't at all. But it was really good for me because it just spurred me to just like double check that I was actually right and just pray more and to just work out, Lord, is this really what you're saying or is it just just me? Is it just about what I want to say? And I took time to pray, and you know, like when you get the the heartbeat that's just worse and worse and like the pounding, you know that it's just like, oh, you have to speak out. So I did, and um, yeah, didn't really go very well at all. And um, actually, I'm not even sure what's going to happen with that friendship. I think it's probably okay, but it turned up the thing things upside down, really. And it was a really kind of painful experience in some sense because the outcome was not at all what I wanted or expected. And the only saving thing for me was that in my heart I knew I knew that this is what God wanted me to say. And so sometimes we just have to do that. We just have to know that. It's going to be painful to talk to people. They're going to to shame us. They're going to think we're really stupid. They're going to ridicule us. But actually, if we're looking at the heavenly perspective, the kingdom perspective, God's interested in our obedience. And one day, he's going to be saying to us, when we're in heaven, and when we're joined with him, he'll be saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's what we want. That's what we want. And finally... After being empowered, we need to be an example. So we need to find attractive ways of preaching the gospel, as we've already discussed. And in my experience, at least, being an example has been the most powerful. Because invariably, just by living as we are as Christians, it invariably leads people to ask questions. And then that can then lead to sharing my faith. So it's kind of walking the talk And it's just interesting that when when you hold yourself, so when you say you're a Christian, you're automatically holding yourself to a higher moral standard. And that's when people start watching. They're watching to see, are you going to stumble? They're going to watch to see, actually, how is she going to respond? And that's why every single day when I start work, before I start work, I'm in the office and I have to pray. Because I often know my weakness. I know that I fall very quickly into slander, into gossip. Those are my two things that I... I know that I'm weak in. And I don't have very much patience. And unfortunately, the more senior you get, you have to be patient. And I am not patient by nature. And so we need protection. And I need protection that God would guard my tongue. The Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's absolutely not what I want to do. And I would absolutely say that the... um, The mission field, the hardest mission field that I've ever worked, I've ever been in, and I've moved around quite a lot in a number of jobs, uh, in a number of countries. But I would say that the hardest mission field is your status quo. So it's where you normally are. So is it in your work, in your place of work? Is it it's uh, like at your school, or it's at home with the kids? It's where you are at your most ordinary, because that's when you're most ugly, and that's the hardest place to to be an evangelist and to be holy. And so I've had, been really blessed, actually, because I think God has know, knows me and knows my weaknesses. So every time I'm at work and every place that I've been, I've prayed for people to be around me so I'm accountable to them. So, and I would just yeah, just really challenge you as well. If you have the same situation, the same difficulties, just pray for people to come into your lives, to, and he'll provide them for you. So for me, like we, in, in this organization I'm working at the moment, um, I have one person that I actually pray with pretty much once a week. And every every week we've now started, as a result of that, more people have become a bit interested, and so we now have a, a Bible study that meets every two weeks, and there's about 30 people on the distribution list. And then we also have um, just prayer groups once a week as well, and there's usually about, about five, six people that turn up to that. So God can provide, and he can just do stuff for us. But I've also noticed as well, just out of out of just being trying to live a life that is holy and trying to be an example god has also allowed me to kind of be in positions where we can then kind of share our faith and so now just the other day the one of the senior directors in my office said oh i heard you're a christian i've got this issue and then she just asked wanted me to pray with her um and i was getting up to pray and she was like no 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 not pray with me like pray for me and so <laughs> she was too afraid of that but um, But there was another senior director that also came to me and she said, oh, I heard you're a Christian. I was like, yeah, I'm a Christian. She said, I'm a Christian too. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad. You know, it's amazing when you have people in high positions of authority who are also Christian. Like, that's what we need in every kind of um, secular environment. My biggest prayer is that those in authority would be Christians and we need to be praying for them. So she said, oh, please, can you pray for me? Um, So I now pray with her. And it's, it's just a wonderful joy. And Thierry for me is like the biggest challenge because he lives in a way that's just so much more righteous than me. And these things that I really need help with and prayer for every day, it just comes so naturally to him. So he was um, at work, I think, one time when he was back in Miranda and he's very much, very senior in his, was very senior in his his job. And I'm not sure if you've ever read 48 Laws of Power, but um, it's kind of one of these secular books. But um, one of those things is, you know, you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be greater than your master, and if you are, then you know you're in trouble. And poor Thierry, I think, fell, <laughs> fell, fell into that trap. And uh, basically, his boss was—we're actually friends with him. I think he's very close to him, but he totally turned on Thierry for this particular thing, and um, it just led to like a, a, a miss, complete missed opportunity. We lost loads of money. He was basically meant to go to Europe, and um, for some reason, this guy just didn't encourage him at all. And I think it was just deliberately because he just didn't want him to be elevated above above himself and Thierry's response I was so angry I was just like I can't believe he did this we've done so much for his family like we do all this stuff for him and like how dare he and like he's a genocide survivor and we're like I'm always praying for him and like you know how dare he and Thierry was just like this such a calm righteous kind of doesn't respond at all and, like, so just through that moment, all he, did, he didn't say anything to this guy. Like, this guy knew absolutely what he'd done. Like, nobody has to say anything. Thierry said absolutely nothing. He just lived in the normal way that he did, as, like, a, as someone living holily, just doing his work as he should. And absolutely, this guy, has to, he's never said anything. He's never apologised. But things have changed since then, and he's now just so different and just so accepting and so willing, now that Thierry's a consultant, you know, to just help Thierry and just do his stuff that's the greatest example that we can be <clears throat> so to conclude i started with a question which was is our agenda matched is it aligned to god's agenda and the reason why i hope it's becoming more um, yeah it's becoming more clear as to why i'm asking that question is because we don't want to limit god's destiny in your life by walking in the smallness of your own vision so, it only really takes a willing yes for God to turn things around in our lives. That's all we need, it's just a yes. But if we do, we've got to be prepared that actually it will sometimes take us out of our comfort zone. It often will make us feel take risk. It may often not have positive outcomes immediately. But when God's in charge, it's actually really not that hard at all. And my only one really strong experience about that, of that is really in 2008. Where I was living in Belgium, I was working as a lawyer in a law firm, working extremely hard, but loving it, really, really enjoying it. And um, but I kind of felt that, you know, I, I had these things that I wanted to do. I wanted to go back to the UK. I wanted to get a house. I wanted to, you know, get married. And I really just wanted to settle, basically. And so I really just was praying—that's the only thing I was doing that was right. I was praying that, like, God would, uh, you know, open this door so that I can get, go back to the UK and settle and find a husband. That's all I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, And and it's just interesting how we always just try and put obstacles in the way all the time. So interestingly, the more that I prayed, it just didn't really work out that way at all. And so God then um, gave me... I came across this organisation called International Justice Mission, which basically sends out lawyers into um, different countries where they have a a justice system, but they don't have a properly functioning one. And so they focus on sending voluntary lawyers to these places like um, Africa and Asia... Um, to focus on things like sex trafficking, child sexual violence, um, you know, slavery, um, land rights violations, all those kinds of things. And it was a Christian organisation as well. So the very first time that I heard about it, I was like, whoa, wow, wow, lawyers can actually be useful. Wow, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, you hear about doctors going to MSF and like going around the world and like nurses help saving the world and like, wow, lawyers can be helpful. This is like a complete revelation for me. I couldn't I couldn't believe it that we, we could actually be useful. Um, so that was like the one triggering thing for me. I was like so excited about the fact that this could actually happen. But I just wasn't really quite ready to, to, to do that. It was just too big. It was like too big a change. And I was quite happy earning my big salary and like, you know, wanting to settle. Um, but the heart was willing. So the, the, there was something in there that God had to, was working on. And it must have taken about eight months to a year almost for that kind of process to go along. And eventually I started thinking a lot more about, you know, going and working in and for IJM. But there were three major obstacles that I had, and these were really big obstacles for me. So the first one was that my parents were going through a um, marital problems, and um, actually they ended up divorcing a few years later, which is another sad story, but... Um, uh, but at the, at the time, my um, my mom was extremely dependent on me. And it was not a particularly healthy relationship, but I just knew that she was really, really dependent. And so I really didn't want to leave her and abandon her for a year. But this was just in my heart. So she is a Christian, and I went to talk to her, and I said, oh, Mom, you know, this is what I'm thinking about. I think this is where God is leading me, but I just don't know what to do. Expecting her to say, no, you can't go. <laughs> um, and she just said the opposite. She said, if you're going to go, go. Go now, because I don't want you to you know, defer your time or whatever. Go now. So I was like, okay, one obstacle. Okay, there's two more at least, so I've got those to fall back on. Um, so I had the second obstacle, which was an even bigger obstacle, which is like my work situation. So 2008, 2009 is like the recession time. And I'd gone back to the UK to help with um, some like bank-saving stuff, so um, Lloyd's H. Boss and some of these deals that were going on um, to try and save the banks. And um, I was just really worried that there's no way they're going to keep my job open for me, and and during this time, they're not going to let me take a sabbatical. So I went to go and see the managing partner in in Brussels, and I was like, so this is what I'm kind of thinking. What do you think? And he just looked at me like I was a complete idiot. Like, he was just like, what the heck? You want to actually give up your job? You want to not get paid? And you want to go? And I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I just remember him saying something like, Oh, um, wow, well, I'm quite challenged by that. Uh, let me think about it. So he just kind of went off. And a few days later, he came back and he said, Oh, yeah, we've had a partners meeting, and uh, actually, yeah, you can go. You can go. We'll keep your job open for you, and uh, yeah, come back in a year. Come back by then, and then that's fine. So I was like, Oh, wow, <laughs> two obstacles gone, but there is a third. And my third was the financial situation. So actually, this wasn't really a great financial. This wasn't actually that bad. But for me, it was. I worked it out because it's an American organisation. I'd have to go and do training in America. I would then have to go and, like go to Africa, and it was Rwanda, and I had to, um, you know, pay quite a lot of money. And I worked out voluntary job, probably cost me about twelve thousand euros, something like that. In truth, I had the savings, but it was probably the ma- vast majority of my savings. So I was like, oh, Lord, really, it's a lot of money. Um, Anyway, then a few days later, the the same partner came to my office, and he was like, so this is a voluntary thing. It's a voluntary thing you're doing. And I was like, yeah, it's a voluntary thing. Oh, but you're at least getting your expenses paid for. And I was like, "Mm, no, I'm going to have to pay this for myself. And then he was like, oh, pay for yourself. And I told him how much it was going to be, and he was just absolutely gobsmacked. He came back a few days after that, and he said, oh, well, um, it turns out that the... the, So they do this matching scheme, so you do give, like, you... you, um, Raise five hundred pounds and five hundred euros, and then they'll match five hundred euros. But the maximum is five hundred euros. So he said, "Well, I've, we know there's this matching scheme. Uh, we're going to give you a thousand euros." And I was like, "Wow, thanks. That's really kind." And then he said, "Yeah." And then also the other partners. There was ten of them at the time in my department. He said, "Yeah, the other partners and I. We were talking, and we were just really shocked at what you're doing. But um, yeah, I guess quite challenge." So each of them went into their own pockets. Basically, I looked in my bank account a few days later. 4,000 euros extra. For me, I've seen a lot of miracles in my time, like lots of healings. But yeah. This probably matches some of the actual physical healings. Like uh, rich people giving freely their money Is uh, <laughs> doesn't really happen. Um, but anyway, this is a very long story, a long-winded way of saying that eventually I went, and actually through that experience, God has really changed my life. And it was such a feeble yes, that's all it was. It was one silly, act of just, yes, Lord, I'll go if that's where you'll go, if you're sending me. I'm willing to go where you're going to send me. And it really changed my heart for the poor, for widows, for orphans. It changed my heart to really pray for worldly affairs and to see faith change through people and through prayer. And it also gave me this ability to, to share the gospel in a new way. And, you know, like in Miranda, it's all everybody is really, really hurting some way or another about the genocide. So it's either that they're perpetrators and they're just afraid or they are um, survivors who have suffered in the most atrocious ways. And for the survivors, you know, you would have heard these stories about... um, People being being told in '94 that they should just go and like get, seek refuge in churches. So they would all go and there was one church where there's um, a church that could comfortably seat about 300 people, and a thousand people crowd into this church, men, women, and children. And the pastor says, "Go, go, and go and like look after. You'll be safe there." And then this very pastor is the one that then goes and tells the militia that this is where these people are. And in the space of eight hours or something, all these people are slaughtered, in the most, are butchered, basically, in the most atrocious way. Women are, are raped, um, infected with HIV. It's just the most atrocious things. Now, preaching the gospel and saying, oh, great, how Jesus is and how wonderful he is, actually they've heard it before, probably from that very same pastor. But for me, what was the most powerful thing was actually being able to just be... Be be Jesus to them. Be somebody who would actually just love them and care for them and want to pray for them. And, you know, we've got this kind of um, perception from uh, in the west. In Africa, I suppose, of just being quite promiscuous if you're a woman, and um, and so just being able to just say, actually, no, you know, I haven't, I haven't really slept with anyone before, and yeah, I'm still holding out for my husband, or you know, just being able to to just say, you know, yeah, I love Jesus, so this is this is why I'm doing this, and this is why I'm giving up my big job in, in Brussels to come and like be a volunteer, and I noticed that those were the things that then led people to want to follow Jesus because they saw the very little that I had in of Jesus in me. And actually, when I came back, I also wanted to just share my experience as well. Um, and I just learned so much. You know, you go these places, and it's just so common. You go there, and you think, oh, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to save Africa. I'm going to save Rwanda and all these people who are suffering. And again, you know, God humbles you, and you just end up being learning so much more. And, and I just learned so much. But I started coming back to this law firm, and I gave a talk. And normally, you go to these talks, and there's about five people that turn up. And actually, there was people just standing. They were all just really eager to hear what, what I was up to. Um, And I started speaking a lot about justice through IJM, this organization. But I found that over the time as well, now God's opened up doors for me as well to kind of speak about justice, and not just about justice, but to professionals in the city um, and things like that. And that's just been a really wonderful opportunity for me. And I'm not saying this at all to elevate myself or to tell you how great I am. Absolutely far from it, if you knew me. Oh, dear. Um, But my point is that, you know, God can turn our lives upside down if we just have this one act of obedience and the shift in rather thinking about me and what I can achieve to what can God achieve? What's his agenda for me? And I pray in Thierry's prayer, prayer when we pray together is that we would only ever walk in the destiny that God has for us. Matthew nine thirty seven to finish says, the harvest is plentiful, but the labor is a few. And so my prayer for us is that we would be, make up the faithful few so that we would indeed see the Kingdom of Heaven come here on earth in the UK, in this city in London, and in Brixton. You. you have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.